What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That is where we post all of our new content, podcasts, articles, news and notes, anything on the baseball side that we share out. That is the account where it will be shared from. You guys can, of course, go to SportsEthos.com as well to check out all of that great work right from the source. We have, of course, content across all four major sports. We have gambling. We have DFS. We have team coverage. Make sure you guys are checking us out over there. Going to start the week off by asking a small favor of you guys, if you haven't done so already. A rating and review would really go a long way into helping the show grow. We've had a ton of them come in in 2024. I've really appreciated every single one of them. You guys are the best. If you guys haven't done so already, it just takes a couple seconds. You slide down your podcast page. You hit that five-star button. You leave a couple kind words, and it really does help us out. Really do appreciate that. Going to give you guys a little bit of a breakdown here of what the week will look like. Today, we're going to talk about a couple of signings that happened over the weekend that I think are fairly interesting. Tomorrow, we are going to be doing, I'm going to be recording a couple of podcasts, and we're going to be releasing them tomorrow and then one of them on Wednesday. We're going to be doing two team previews. We're going to start off tomorrow by having a first-time guest on the show, Ben Palmer. He's a senior writer at Pitcher List. We're going to be talking about the Baltimore Orioles, and then later in the day, this one will be released on Wednesday, but I might live stream it, so uh, be on the lookout on Twitter, of course. This one will be the Atlanta Braves preview with our good friend Chris Clegg, who has been on the show a few times before. So those are going to be released Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Wednesday night, I am going to be recording a live draft show. This one is going to be a lot of fun. It'll be aired on our Twitter, on YouTube, on a few different places, and we are going to be doing a live gladiator draft. You've heard me reference these. If you're somebody who's been around Fantasy Baseball Twitter, you've probably seen it uh, referenced a few times throughout draft season, probably more than a few times. It's a really popular draft format where you just draft 23 players, your starting lineup, And then that's it. You don't have to do anything else for the rest of the season. Literally no moves, no switching around players on rosters, nothing. You draft, and that is it. It's a really fun format. I'm just doing one this year. I I just don't want to be – again, you guys know this probably. I'm a college student. I don't have a ton of money to be throwing around these leagues. I want to do – you know, probably close to 10 leagues, and i got to kind of space them out. So just one gladiator for me. But I am going to be airing it live, and that will be Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern. It will be live, and it will, of course, come out as a podcast uh, Thursday, probably Thursday morning. We will release that one Thursday afternoon. Now, in the co-host chair for that draft, because you know it's good to have somebody to bounce your ideas off of, to kind of chime in on what's going on, Scott Bogman one half of the In This League Fantasy Baseball Podcast Network, Fantasy Podcast Network in general, uh, will be co-hosting the show with me. Bogman is not drafting. He is going to be simply there as a peanut gallery, as somebody that will be making fun of my picks and making fun of everybody else in the draft. Now, there's a couple people you guys probably know in this draft. Matty Wood, Matthew Davis from FTN Fantasy, and Ray Murphy, who is the general manager over at Baseball HQ. They are both going to be in this draft along with myself and a few other people. Of course, it's a 15-team draft. So make sure you guys are checking that one out. It's going to be a fun week of content, and it's going to be kind of like that every week going forward. Going to be trying to do at least two or three previews a week. Going to try and get through every single team. And we're also going to be doing a ton of other fun content. So make sure you guys are checking out all of the different platforms because we are going to be doing a ton of stuff on YouTube, a ton of stuff on Twitter. And that is the end of my opening rant. But let's get into the meat and potatoes today. And that's Teoscar Hernandez has joined the Avengers and he is going to be a part of these Los Angeles Dodgers. He is being paid $23 million, $23.5 million on a one-year deal. 
Um, this one is official. Passon has given it the seal of approval. This one is 100%. $8.5 million. I think the Dodgers at this point are just having a laugh at everybody else because the Dodgers have deferred $8.5 million to be paid out between 2030 and 2039. I don't really understand why they need to do this. If Teoscar wanted it like this to be getting, you know, about a million bucks a year well after he's probably going to be retired, yeah, maybe he makes it to 2030. Probably he doesn't. I'm guessing he probably doesn't. So that's going to be like post-retirement money for him. Maybe that was his idea. I don't know. Either way, it just feels like they're having a laugh at everybody who was kind of upset, including myself. I, you know, I, I'm not going to you know make bones about it. I was kind of pissed off about all the deferred money and the way that they are kind of able to build this team. But now they're just kind of having a laugh at everybody, I think, and it's kind of hard not to just kind of chuckle along at this point. Teoscar Hernandez, you know, there was a lot of people talking, including myself, that it was probably best to kind of avoid him in drafts, and I, I I, think that you could make an argument that you can go and draft Teoscar Hernandez, but I think there's there's a lot of different angles to tackle here. So going back to when we did our outfielder review slash preview, when we got to Teoscar Hernandez, you know, we went pretty in-depth on him in particular. There's different levels of depth we went on different players. You know, some guys require a little bit more. You don't need to get so far into Acuna to find out he's brilliant, certain things like that. But with Teoscar, we dug kind of deep. The strikeout rate has been going up. The walk rate's been going down. The batting averages are not good. Uh, you know, he's pretty much a league average bat this past season at a 105 WRC plus. He was a 1.8 wins above replacement. He was not a great player. Whether you're talking offensively, defensively, there was not a lot to to really like about Teoscar's year in Seattle. There was a hot stretch at one point that kind of got him to where he ended up 26 homers 93 ribbies seven stolen bases it doesn't look like a, a bad year but overall it was fairly disappointing he was 365 in august and he hit seven home runs there that was his best month of the season other than that you're looking at 209 252 303 in june which was good but 200 227 250 overall it was kind of an unimpressive season from teoscar and it's kind of been an unimpressive couple of seasons now 2022 was it was not bad like it was it was a better season than this and he was hurt for part of it he played 131 games so it wasn't like you could look at what he did from a volume standpoint 71 runs 77 ribbies and say that's that's who he is or who he looks like he was going to turn into but this past season he played 160 games which was the most he'd ever gotten into and he had fewer runs than he did the year before, only by one. But it just speaks to the fact that he was kind of just really unimpressive. He's not a guy who gets on base a lot. And like I said, the walk rate went down. That on-base percentage was 305. Absolutely horrendous. You know, 31.5% strikeout rate is is terrible. So there's a, a lot just within his profile. And I said this at the time. It doesn't really matter where he goes necessarily. He's somebody that... I don't think that I'm going to have a lot of interest in. Now, of course, he goes to the probably best team he could possibly go to in terms of offensive potency, right? There's no better team out there than the Dodgers, probably. You can make an argument for Atlanta, and honestly, they're close. They're real close, but at that point, it doesn't really matter. He's going to about as good of a situation as he could possibly get into. Now, my thing with Teoscar Hernandez, part of the reason why I was really worried about investing a high draft pick in him, and he's not necessarily somebody that you need to be investing a high draft pick in. It will probably get a little bit higher. His price will rise. But as of right now, you haven't been needing to, uh, to be dropping a massive uh, dollar or price value on 
Uh, Teoscar Hernandez in your draft. Sorry, I'm distracted here trying to pull up where he is going, and it's um, being distracted because the NFBC page, I'm trying to figure out if they have updated it or not, if he is on the Seattle page or if he is on the Dodger page. And they have updated it. He's on the Dodger page now. His ADP in the month of December, and forgive me for uh, for being distracted there, but his ADP in the month of December is 154.9. I think... I think it's pretty okay. And that was, you know, it's been my my point is that it's not nothing. It's still a relatively high price for somebody who granted has has a lot of positives in his game, but there's also a lot to not like, like we just talked about. Like he's still a good powerful hitter. He can still steal a few bases for you. But just the profile there it really did not have me inspired to be drafting him at that price. And part of my point that I got sidetracked from a second ago was the fact that I didn't really expect him to be playing much defense going forward. I thought that based on how poorly he has been in the field, that we are going to see Teoscar Hernandez slowly become a DH only type of player as he gets into his later thirties and become like a, you know, a JD Martinez type of guy, you know, that, 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 that's generally a good comp. I think he played 135 games in the field this past year. So there's reason to think that, you know, he was still able to, and he graded out better in terms of outs above average, defensive run save, things like that, than he had in the past, which is, I think, more fluky than anything because, you know, the defensive metrics overall are still not good with Teoscar. I thought that he'd be more of a primary DH going forward. But they have Shohei Otani, who is going to be DHing probably in 150 games this season. Maybe 145, might be 155, but the, the majority of those DH at-bats are going to be taken up by Shohei. Teoscar is going to have to play the field. And the amount of money that they gave him, deferred, not deferred, however much it actually ends up looking like this year, you don't give somebody $23 million to have them be a platoon player, to have them just play some against lefties, because that's another thing with Teoscar. He mashes lefties. He batted close to 300 against lefties, et cetera, et cetera. You're not giving him $24 million to start 55, 60 games in the year and play in 100 and only play mostly against lefties. He's going to be playing every single day, which was part of the reason why I was fading him is because I didn't think that was going to be happening. I thought Teoscar Hernandez would be a DH type of guy who's playing 120, 130 games, and he still continues to decline. Now, he may continue to decline, but the fact that he is now padded around him with these mega producers means that I'm going to probably be a little bit more interested in Teoscar than I would have been, assuming that the price does not go through the roof. If that price ends up as like 120 and Vlad Sedler, Roto Gut, was speculating on Twitter yesterday that the price is probably going to go to like the 120-ish range, the Castellanos type of range, I'm out at that point. I think that that's where it gets too expensive for me. And I think despite the fact that the, the offense has improved, um, you know, that he's probably going to be playing more, he's going to be in the bottom part of that lineup and he's not going to be in like the Gavin Lux situation. And I've talked about how I really think Gavin Lux can be huge because he's going to be batting ninth. That he's going to get on base and turn it over to Mookie, Shohei, and, and Freddie Freeman. I mean, that's a lot of run potential. Teoscar Hernandez projected about seventh, and that's probably about right. I don't know how often we are going to see Teoscar Hernandez necessarily come up with Freddie Freeman, Shohei, Mookie bets on base. That's probably not going to be happening too often. So it's a matter of how much do you want to bank on Will Smith and Max Muncy and Outman getting on base ahead of him. It's going to be happening, but I think... You know He's in probably the worst situation. He could be in the Dodgers lineup, currently where he's projected. And he might not end up batting seventh. It might be sixth. But I think you're probably they're probably not too far off with what they're expecting. So essentially what I see with Teoscar is a guy who does not 
have the power that he once had. He's not hitting for the batting average that he once did. And, you know, the power, it looks kind of deceiving, 25, 26 home runs, but that ISO is going down. The slugging has gone down each of the last four years. I think that we're probably looking at closer to a 20 homer bat than the 30 homer bat. So that's one area where he's gone down. I don't think he's going to score as many runs because he's not quite as quick as he once was either. He's not stealing as many bases as he did. You know, 6-7 is okay, but he had that 12 stolen base season. He's a guy that you probably figured was going to take advantage of the stolen base rules. One of those fringier guys who's not a stud necessarily. Those are the type of players in terms of their speed, uh, not a stud player in terms of their speed. He's one of those guys that I thought would potentially go to like 20 steals this past season. 17 to 20 kind of range, and he had exactly the same number at one while playing 29 more games. So speed is not a big asset. We thought that batting average was going to be a big asset for Teoscar Hernandez. 289, 296 in consecutive years. Yes, the first one was the short season, but it's what we had to go on. He batted 289, he hit 16 homers, he won the Silver Slugger. Followed that up, batted 296. Now these last couple of years, 267 and three or in 258, while maintaining like the same Babbitt, those Babbitts in these last four years, 348, 352, 335, and 342, with pretty vastly different results there batting average-wise between a 296 and a 258, while only having a 10-point difference in the Babbitt there, he's just not the same player that he once was. Not in any way. He had a very short peak prime there and he's a guy that kind of caught on a little bit later and I think Blue Jay fans myself included might have thought well maybe this is the next kind of Jose Batista prototype guy you know in right field comes up later on becomes this silver slugger all-star type but he did not burn nearly as bright as Batista or for nearly as long and I think despite the fact that he's in a very good lineup right now I don't know how much I'm gonna be thinking that's gonna benefit him. He's projected for three more runs, and he's projected for seven fewer RBIs as of right now than last year. I don't know if Steamer did any kind of update to put him in the Dodgers in their projections, but as of right now, I just don't have a hell of a lot of interest in taking him, especially because I think the price is going to go up. Am I more interested than I was yesterday? Yeah, because he's in the best situation he could be, playing the field probably most days in a very good lineup, but I just think overall... He's going to be a little bit limited in terms, like I said, his batting spot. In that, if he's batting fifth, if they end up batting him fifth, then that's a different story. But if he ends up in the seven hole, I do think that that can make a dramatic difference, especially because our perception right now is like 100 and 100 for everybody. Everybody's going 100 runs. Everybody's driving in 100 because of how potent that lineup is. It's probably true for the top three guys, and Will Smith can probably drive in 100. Muncie might be able to. But there's only so many guys that are going to be able to sustain that kind of production. And I don't think Teo in the seventh hole – considering the decline, is going to be able to do that. So I think I am going to have to be out. If he stays around 150 and it's around 10 pick, then I don't really have a big problem with it. But if he's 120, if he's 110, if he's poking his head inside the top 100, which he already has a few times inside a draft season, some people might be saying, well, that's crazy. He's not going to go as a top 100 pick. It's happened several times already, and it's not really happened recently. But as recently as when was this draft? This was on December 18th. He went as the 99th pick. That's well before he signed. It's only a couple of weeks ago, and he was already getting a couple of those. And there was, you know, he went at pick 86 in November. He went at pick 99 a couple times. There was already a little bit of that going on. If that becomes the norm, I can't see myself really having any Teoscar this year. 
But I do want to talk about the other move, and the other move is not as interesting of a name, but I think could potentially be somebody that does have a, a lot of fantasy value this year, and that's Sean Manaya. Sean Manaya was disappointing this past season. There's no doubt about it, but he has been given another chance. He is signed to a two-year deal, a $28 million value with the New York Mets as an opt-out for Manaya after 2024. This rotation on paper right now looks like absolute trash. Senga, Quintana, Peterson, Lucchesi, there's uh, Hauser, there's Severino. There's, there's a lot of different stuff going on, but none of it's good. None of it is good at all. Let's talk about Manaya. He had 117 innings last year to a 444 ERA. First of all, I think that San Francisco is one of the best pitching organizations in all of baseball. I've talked about this a lot. If you listen to the show regularly, there's no surprise to that. I and we've seen it over the last few years. Gosman, Cobb, Wood. Um, there's a uh, Rodon. There's several examples of guys going there, whether they were good or not before, and getting better and actually improving on their skills. And we saw Manaya and Ross Stripling go there last year in the offseason, and I was really big, and I would bump them both up my rankings. I was big on both of them. But the reality was that San Francisco didn't use either one of them properly. These are guys that should have been starting the whole season, and Manaya specifically, I think, was hurt by it as a guy who had previously appeared twice in relief coming into this season and had started 156 games, only two times in relief he had appeared, 156 times as a starter, and they try and made him this bulky kind of bullpen guy. Started 10 games, he appeared 27 times in relief, and yeah, he wasn't what we were expecting in San Francisco. They misused him, and I think the same thing could be said about Ross Stripling. They were still started here and there, <clears throat> but they were not used as everyday starters the way that they probably should have been, the way that yeah, there's nothing else to say, really. That's the way they probably should have been used. I think they were both misused, and that doesn't make me change the way I feel about San Francisco as an organization. I think there's still a team where a pitcher goes there. It does pique my interest. I think that they know what they're doing. But this was a bad, bad use of an asset in Manaya, in my opinion. Now, he was still good. Despite the fact that it was a 444 ERA, there were still things to really like. Down the stretch, he looked good. You know, when he got into a rhythm, he looked good as a starter. He had a 383 Sierra for the season. He had a 401 XFIP. Those are both pretty solid. He also had a 17.2 strikeout minus walk rate, which is not, you know, incredible. It's not something that's going to blow you away, but it's very, very solid. It's a top 30, 35 kind of mark in the league. It's very, very good. He's been a guy throughout his career that's able to limit walks, and he's been able to increase his strikeouts up to 25.7%. The 8.4 walk rate was not good, but I, again, I just think that he was misused. If he's being used as a starter, which is what I hope the Mets will do, then I can see myself really have an interest in him. But of course, there's not really that many guys for fantasy purposes in most leagues who can sustain value as a reliever, swingman, bulk kind of guy. I don't think that he'll have value in that role, but if he is able to to hold down that fifth spot in the rotation and give you 25, 27 starts, I'm very interested in Sean Manaya. The price is dirt cheap. Right now, in the month of December, going back to December 1st, 389 is his ADP based on 21 drafts. The highest he's gone is 351. And he's not somebody, like, I wouldn't go out there and say he's, I tweeted this out the other day, like, my early version of, like, my guys, guys that I'm really invested in this season, guys that I think are going to have a great year that I'm trying to get on every team. Manaya is not to that degree, but I do think there is a lot of bounce back potential if the Mets are able to use him properly in that rotation. He is projected by Steamer for a sub four ERA. There is not a hell of a lot of pitchers you can say that about. I know it's one sample, it's one projection system, 
but generally Steamer, especially last year, was very, very good. And I do think that if we're buying what they're selling us, the walks are going to come down, the strikeouts are going to stay relatively the same, and we're going to be able to get a sub-4 ERA, roughly a sub-4 ERA pitcher with about a 1.25 whip going on pick 400. And at that point, I see no reason to not take a chance on him. He is not somebody that I'm drafting in your 12-teamers. If you're drafting on Yahoo or CBS or those other sites that we talk about all the time, he's not a target of mine. He's not going to be somebody that should be pushed into your top 250 or top 300, generally speaking. I can get behind him as, in those leagues, a streamer, as somebody where he's having a couple of, you know, starting against the Nationals this week or he's starting against Oakland. Well, you know, Colorado at home or, you know, Colorado in your home. I should say Colorado away from Coors uh, to simplify that. Those are the kind of starts where I'm looking at him in 10 and 12 team leagues. Or if he has a two start week, that's where I think he can he can be valuable. And he actually could be somebody that works his way into 12 team viability pretty easily. I can definitely see a path where Sean Manaya is the second best pitcher on the Mets next year. And he is a 12-team viable guy. But as of now, I'm going to say that he is a solid late-round investment in 15-team leagues. If you are drafting an NFBC team and he's like your 26th, 25th round pick, something like that, I'm all for it. I think that he is somebody who can fill out a rotation of staff very well, especially if it doesn't work out. If you're talking to DC, it's a little different. I still think I would take a chance in a DC. But if you're just talking a regular fab league, pick 389 it's one of your last picks. Those go 30 rounds. That's about round 26, round 27. If it doesn't work out for Manaya, then you can very easily drop him. Most of the guys in that range are getting dropped anyway, but you're getting a you know, potential sub-4 ERA in a 15-team league in round 26. Uh, you got to be taking a look, especially if the strikeouts are able to maintain the way they have the last three years. I, I think I'm going to be really interested in Manaya, but it does come down to how the Mets are going to use him. I don't want Manaya as a relief pitcher. I want Manaya as a guy who's able to go five, six innings every time out. Let's hope that that's what we get. But that'll do it for us today. Of course, like I already said at the top of the show, we have a fun, exciting week. So make sure you guys are subscribing to the pod every week, probably pretty much every single week going forward is going to look like that now. Two or three guests, a couple of live shows, and a lot of different fun going on. So you can follow along with all of it over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. And, of course, go ahead and check out SportsEthos.com. But that'll do it. Come back and check out tomorrow. We are going to be previewing the Baltimore Orioles with Ben Palmer from Pitcherless. But until then, guys, take care, have a great night, and cheers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.